listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Don't be a freaking weirdo Christian. That's what we're talking about today. Um, Dave Condon wants to know if he'll get digital hugs. And I say to you um, that we need to talk to your wife because you need real hugs. Abigail, get on this. He needs real hugs, not drugs. Um, There's a great worship leader, Dave Condon, who I love. Um, Don't be a freaking weirdo, Christian. That's what we're talking about today. It's going to be a rant. It's going to be a bit of a rant with plenty of scripture thrown in. Because I don't just rant out of my soul. Um, This stuff has got to be, everything's got to be based in scripture. You've got to talk about what God talked about. You've got to base your thoughts on the word of God. You know, we're big on that. Uh, on the broadcast, anybody that's part of the Victory Tribe, you know, as well as I do, everything we teach, it has to come from Scripture. And so I'm going to be giving you this from the Scripture today. Um, and uh, we're going to see that starting in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4. Don't be <laughs> a freaking weirdo Christian. What do I mean by that? There are Christians that have gotten extremely weird You know, let me just say, anybody that's watching, hey, Luenda, anybody that's watching this knows, if you know me, if you're familiar with this ministry, I'm as Pentecostal as they come. You know, I have, I grew up Pentecostal. You know, I grew up in Pentecost. I have never, and and here's something that's really to be said because of what many people are doing today. I have never pushed back from Pentecost. I'm not one of these dummies that's like, well, you know, we need to just tone it down a little bit because, you know, there are visitors in the room and they might think it's weird. I'm not one of those guys. We don't tone it down. I'm not ashamed we speak in tongues. I'm not ashamed we lay hands on the sick. I'm not ashamed we cast out devils. I'm not ashamed of the prosperity message. I'm not ashamed of the faith message. I'm not ashamed of any of it at all. And so if you know me and if you know this ministry, uh, Let me tell you, I am not by any means uh, ashamed of Pentecost or being Pentecostal (laughs) at all. And uh, as as one preacher said, we should be so full of the Pentecostal power that if a mosquito bit us, it would fly away singing there's power in the blood. And that's exactly how I feel. I'm not pulling back on any of that. However, uh, what I'm dealing with today, talking about these freaking weirdos (laughs) that are in the church in a lot of places, is that. The, the bad rap that we get many times as Pentecostals is that it's really not that defined of a group. And so as a result, what ends up happening is that you've got anybody that's, you know, not like Baptist or Presbyterian, anybody that's not a reformed Calvinist that, that believes in charismatic, you know, gifts or believes in speaking in tongues, they're all grouped under one umbrella of Pentecostal. It just happens. Oh, these spirit filled people, these Pentecostal people, anybody that's weird gets grouped under this umbrella of Pentecostal. And it's not right because you know, if, if you'll understand it, uh, the Pentecostal message, it's, it's not like some uh, new thing. 
you know, people are trying to trace it back to, well, it's, you know, 1900 at Zusa Street Revival. No, the Pentecostal message started in about the year 33, 34 AD at the uh, day of Pentecost in the upper room and then spread. And Peter, uh, did you ever think about this? I, I mentioned this last night in church. Did you ever think about the fact that people say, well, I think now we're living in the last days. You know, if you've heard that, throw a hand in the comments. People are like, yeah, now, I think now we're living in the last days. Yeah, but let me just, let me just clue you into something. Peter the apostle jumped up on the day of Pentecost. And what did he say? He said, when the Holy Ghost fell, this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes the prophecy of the prophet Joel. What did Joel say? In the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, right? And then he goes on through the whole prophecy. But what's that part I want you to see? In the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Then Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and said, hey, everybody, what's going on right now? This is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, saith God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So what Peter was announcing was, on the day of Pentecost, the last days began. <laughs> Did you ever think of that? So it's been the last days for 2,000 years. This is what people fail to realize. It's been the last days for 2,000 years. And um, the Pentecostal message is not a new message. Say, so, well, you know, over the last 120 years, really, that's when Pentecost really took off. No, no, no. That's a stupid misconception that Pentecost has only been around for the last 120 years. It's been around for 2,000 years. It's the message that Jesus was pushing and saying, don't go out into the world and try to do my works until you're filled with power from on high. That's what he was telling them at the end of the book of Luke, tarry in Jerusalem until you're filled with power from on high. Acts chapter one, he said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So this Pentecostal message has been around for 2000 years. It's not new, but everybody that does anything weird is just grouped automatically under this Pentecostal banner, this envelope or this uh, umbrella of Pentecost. And it's not true. There is, by the way, orthodox Pentecostal doctrine that's important to remember that we do believe the Bible. <laughs> and, I, and when I say Pentecostal, you know, sadly, uh, what a lot of people are thinking of is, you know, the people in the woods of the Appalachian Mountains grabbing rattlesnakes and drinking strychnine. I'm not talking about weirdos. That's why I'm addressing this today. There's been people that are just freaking weirdos. You're not a Pentecostal. You're just weird. It's like, you just, it's like I'm putting a mask on. Yes, I actually am very weird, but I'll call myself Pentecostal. Maybe they won't catch me. I'm not talking about people that are out there handling rattlesnakes and drinking strychnine. I was actually preaching in Kentucky and I, you know, I'm not a weirdo. I mean, I might be to some, but I'm not. And I'm sitting there preaching and just preaching Orthodox Christianity, preaching revival. And a lady leans over to her friend that brought her. And she's like, is he going to bring out snakes tonight? <laughs> Her friend who was kind of ornery was like, not tonight. <laughs> we don't do that stuff. We don't misinterpret the scripture. Mark 16, 
they shall handle snakes. And, you know, that's not, that's not what that's talking about. It's like in Luke 10, when he said, you'll tread on serpents and scorpions. Do you actually think that the purpose of Christianity is to take off your shoes and socks and walk across the floor of serpents and scorpions? I mean, people are that dumb that that's exact. That's what they're talking. They think the Bible's talking about. Amen, brother. I believe now that we're Pentecostal, we just need to get a room full of serpents and scorpions and just take our shoes and socks off and just start walking across them. That's not what the Bible's talking about. It's important to read the Bible in context. Read the whole verse. He said, you'll tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the devil, right? So you know what that means? It means it's talking in context about the power of the enemy, the power of the devil, and nothing shall by any means harm you. So you start to realize that uh, we're not weirdos. We don't take the Bible to, to say what it doesn't say and try to mean what it doesn't mean. We believe the scripture, but in these last days, uh, one of the things that you'll see happen and is happening already is that people that are just straight up weird, and I'm going to explain to you why they're weird in a minute, but they're, what are they doing? They're forming all these groups and then, you know, raising up and pulling to themselves preachers and teachers that'll keep preaching the weird stuff to them that they want to hear. And did you know that that's Bible prophecy? Did you know that's Bible prophecy being fulfilled? I want you to go with me to 2 Timothy 4. That's where I had you turn. And I want to start with the first verse in 2 Timothy 4 and show you what it says. Look at this. Paul writes to Timothy and says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. By the way, for all the oneness Pentecostals watching, why would Paul say, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus? If Jesus is God, if there's not more than one individual, why did, he, why did he say the presence of God and of Christ Jesus? Two different people. Who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom? Preach the word, be ready, in season and out of season. And then what do you do when you're preaching the word? Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience. And teaching for the time is coming. Now here's where we're at now, by the way, here's where we're at now. The time is coming verse three, when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and they'll wander off into myths. Hmm. As for you though, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And so notice what's going on. Paul's warning Timothy. He's warning him by prophecy that you'll start to see this in the last days, that people will not endure sound teaching. Now, one of the things that's very interesting to me is if you'll look into the Greek language and actually not just in the Greek language, but there's even a footnote in this ESV Bible because they want to kind of even give you uh, what the literal, the most literal translation of the Greek manuscript would be here. You know what that word sound means? That they will not endure sound teaching. It means healthy. 
It's the word that means healthy. They will not endure healthy teaching or teaching that's healthy for their spirit. It's like this. It's like uh, if you all you did all day long was feed your kids candy and Twinkies and candy and Twinkies. Well, are there enough calories to survive on candies and Twinkies? Yes. But you know what's going to happen? Your teeth are going to rot out of your head. And you're going to become at some point obese. And your organs are going to suffer. And so for a small amount of time, you might be able to get by with it. But guess what's going to happen? It's damaging you the whole time you don't even know. It's damaging you. And that's what this doctrine is doing. That's what these teachings are doing. They're damaging Christians and they don't even know it. They're damaging them. It's unhealthy doctrine. It's unhealthy doctrine. And that's what they're listening to. The hyper grace message, which I harp on, I know. And people say, well, he's talking about that often. It's because it needs to be talked about because it's being preached everywhere in the United States to the detriment of Christians themselves. That's destroying Christians because it's not sound doctrine. It's unhealthy, heretical doctrine. Any any doctrine that makes you comfortable with sin is a heretical doctrine. That's why the hyper grace message is one of the things prophesied by the apostle Paul. In the last days, there will be people who will not endure sound doctrine. And what will they do? They will accumulate to themselves, pull to themselves, teachers that will teach things that will suit their own passions. So, for example, if we use this as an example, how is the hyper grace message suiting people's own passions? Because your flesh nature wants to be able to sin. Your flesh nature wants to be able to do what pleases it rather than what pleases God. And so what would they do? What, what would your flesh love? Wouldn't, doesn't it sound uh, very appropriate talking about this, that your flesh would love to have a type of teaching that would make it feel comfortable committing sins? And say, so, you know what? It's not about what we do, brother. It's about what Jesus did. Has not, our actions don't matter. Our own, you know, what we do, it doesn't matter. It's about what Jesus did, not about what we do. And that's what the hyper grace message truly is. Is it, they're telling you, you you've put too much um, emphasis on your own personal conduct or your own personal actions. And that you need to put more emphasis and more uh, focus on what Jesus did himself in redemption's act and his death, burial, resurrection, because that's the thing that really brought us in to the place of grace where our actions no longer carry the same consequence. The only problem with that is the Bible doesn't follow through teaching that thought, because even when you get to the book of Revelation and you read the fact that Jesus appeared to the churches and he said to some of them, I know your works. I know your deeds, your actions. That freaks you out, doesn't it? Because if these preachers are all telling you that it's not about your deeds and it's not about your actions, that's not what we should focus on. It's about what Christ did. Why didn't Christ agree with that when he showed up to the churches and said to them plainly, I know your actions. I know your deeds. And you don't love me like you once did. What's he doing? He's rebuking them, and then he gives them a warning. And what does he say? If you don't go back to loving me and serving me like you once did, 
I will return unto you and remove your candlestick from among the churches. That's a warning. It's a rebuke and it's a warning, which is what Paul's telling Timothy to do. He said, preach the word, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And so you start to wonder why are people accumulating to themselves uh, teachers that suit their passions. It's because the last days are here and this prophecy is being fulfilled. And it's going on around the world. It's going on in this nation that we're seeing all this stuff. And then you just, you get people then that start doing weird stuff. Now, here's the problem. I believe, now we're, we're, I'm, I'm transitioning now away from talking about the hyper grace. Now we're going to get into that weirdness, that freaking weirdo Christianity that I'm, I'm like, I can't, I can't even stomach it. And I know this is a little bit of a rant today, but there's times you just need to rant from the scripture. And it's like, you're sitting there looking at some of this stuff and it's like, did you ever think this to yourself? Why are people not satisfied just seeing the manifestations of the Holy Ghost that are in the Bible. Why do we need all these weird manifestations that have no scriptural backing to feel satisfied that we're having a Holy Ghost meeting? You ever wonder that? How come people aren't satisfied with what we see in the New Testament church and reproducing that now because we're still in the New Testament church? You know, why have we gone to this extreme excess of weirdness? I was kind of mocking it last night in the service. It's like, you know, people, they, they think it's like, yo, you're on a greater level if you have that stuff happening, brother. It's like, you guys smell that? Can you smell the rose of Sharon? I smell a rose fragrance in this church tonight. Or, you know, he's the lily. I smell lilies. He's the lily of the valley. Do you, he's ushered his fragrance into this room. It's like, okay, all right, you smelled a rose. That's not in scripture. Why is that not one of the manifestations of scripture that we see the early church focusing on? The, the manifestations of the Holy Ghost. Why do, you see, why do you never see the church tarrying and waiting for the Holy Spirit to usher in, to spray his fragrance of roses or lilies into your building? Can you smell that, brother? It's always like a dude with crazy wide eyes. Can you smell that? What's going on in this church right now? Everybody just take a deep whiff. It's like, you know, you're on drugs. You're on drugs. We all think you're a nut job, but we are rebuking you with patience and much teaching. It's like, you don't need, if I never smelled the rose of Sharon in the rest of my whole life, I wouldn't worry about it. I would never be in my prayer closet being like, oh God, I'm just pressing in because I've never smelled the rose of Sharon and I pray you just spray your fragrance into that church tonight so we smell the rose of Sharon, God. It's like, I'm not praying for that. I'm not believing for it. Don't care if it ever happens, ever. Why? You never saw it happen in the early church. They weren't looking for that. And it's funny because these people that get so weird these people that get so weird with this stuff, brother, while you were preaching, I saw like an angel feather fall out of the rafters and hit you on the shoulder of your coat, literally. And meanwhile, you, the church hasn't been cleaned in three years and there's just pigeons up in the, up in the roof of the church. You know, people are all, there were angel feathers on the floor, brother. I saw it. 
Do you ever think to yourself, by the way, that an angel feather is probably not going to be like that big? Do you ever think it's probably going to be like that big? Because angels are massive. Do you ever think about the? Nobody thinks of this, but do you ever think of the fact that when an angel showed up in the scripture, the first thing he always had to say to the people was, don't be afraid. You know why? Because they look scary. Brother, I saw nine angels tonight. I pro- I'm guessing you probably didn't because your pants are still dry. You don't have pee-pee on your shorts. And that's probably a sign unto me that you didn't see nine angels. I saw a little angel feather. What do you think he is, a precious moments doll? It's these tiny little cherubims with like little, you know, naked babies in a cloud. What do you think an angel is? Yeah, AJ said it's actually leftover from the pillow fights from the youth lock-in last week. It's like, give me a break. <laughs> Mackenzie said that smell was probably from church mother Sharon, <laughs> not the Rosa Sharon. She got too much perfume. People get weird. They get weird. There was angel feathers. There was angel feathers. I smelled the Rose of Sharon. You know, weird stuff. It's like, why are you focused on that? Why are you focused on that? Why can we spend all that time focusing on that, but we don't focus on what the Bible actually teaches, the types of manifestations we should be seeing from the Holy Ghost? Why, Why is it? that we've moved away from true Pentecostal manifestations. When was the, ask yourself this, when was the last time in your church that you heard a word in tongues and interpretation? When was the last time that there was a message of tongues and interpretation to the people in your church? When was the last time you heard, there was a word of prophecy given in your church? Did you ever think those things? And those are true Pentecostal manifestations a word of tongues and interpretation, a word of prophecy. And I know that, you know, there's some people that preach that, well, part of that prophecy is the preaching of the word. I agree with that, that when you're preaching the word, you are in a sense prophesying. I get that. But when was, when was the time last time you had someone get up by utterance and actually give a word of prophecy in your church? When was the last time there were, uh, you know, gifts of the spirit, like the word of knowledge, exhibited in the service? When did you ever see the gifts of healing or the working of miracles exhibited in your church services? Because these are the things that the apostles and the early church were seeing on a regular basis. So these are the manifestations of the Holy Ghost that they expected to see and that they were seeing. I'm happy that I'm seeing in the comments, people are saying, Often, last week, last week, last Wednesday. I like that. I'm happy to see that the Victory Tribe is going to churches where the Holy Ghost is truly manifesting his presence. Hopefully nobody saw angel feathers last week and smelled the rose of Sharon. It's just, it, to me, it's, it's like, what's the point of seeking after manifestations? I heard a story about these Bible school students who were just getting so into this uh, teaching on, you know, the supernatural realm that, that, that they're so misguided that they're like, you know, we, we really need to be just like Jesus was. And you know what, as he is, so are we in this world. And if Jesus walked through a wall, then we should be able to do it. And they were in their dorm rooms practicing walking through walls. Of course, none of them were able to do it. There's just a lot of bruised foreheads, but they, that's the stuff you're going to practice. Instead of being out winning souls on the streets or laying hands on the sick or casting out devils, 
Why is it that nobody's practicing the things the early church practiced? When did you ever see the early church or even the apostles who were with Jesus? So you know what? Apostles, we need to get together and just begin to uh, manifest his presence and just attempt to walk through these walls. Amen. Never did it. If that's, if that's the kind of stuff we should be seeking, then why did God send an angel to get Peter out of prison instead of letting Peter just walk through the walls? You see what I mean? That people seeking stuff that is not even in the Bible. Gold dust, teeth, you know, it's like supernatural weight loss. I mean, well, why are these things things that we're seeking? I'm believing that by the time I leave this service, supernaturally God will just drop 40 pounds off my body. There's people that actually, that's, I'm not even lying. That's, that's not me joking around. That's a thing. And Lord, if you want to do that for me, I receive it in Jesus name. But I wonder, I wonder, <laughs> somebody wrote the toes of Sharon. I definitely don't want to smell the toes of Sharon. <laughs> if it's anything, let it be the rose of Sharon. But understand something. Why? Why is it? Well, it's because of this, partly. It's because you've got people in these last days that are falling into that category, that are accumulating to themselves teachers and preachers that are literally just preaching to their itching ears, preaching to their passions, what they want to hear, what they prefer to hear. It's not in the Bible. And so then you go on to ask yourself, well, why is this happening? You know, why is this going on? Well, part of the reason that it's going on is because we've not had proper leaders in the church. We've got leaders who have no training. We've got leaders who've got no impartation. We've got leaders who have nobody that brought them up in the way that they literally should go. That's why we are in, exhorted in the Bible that we're not to put up a novice. You're not supposed to put a novice up and have them lead a group of, of believers. That's dangerous. That's da it's, imagine if you did that in the hospital. You know, the, the, this, is, uh, this is Eric, and uh, he's never performed a surgery before, but today we're just going to have him perform your surgery because Eric's very interested in learning how to do surgeries. And so uh, we're going to have him do yours, and I'm sure he'll do a great job. He's a really nice guy. He's a really nice guy. That's how we choose leaders in the church. Well, you know, Eric's a really nice guy, and, you know, he's just fun to hang around, and he's interested in being in the ministry, amen? So we're just going to uh, we're gonna put him up today, and he's going to begin to lead some of you guys, and we're just going to, you know, come under Brother Eric. Eric's never had any training. Eric can't rightly divide the word of truth. Eric's never done any kind of study in Scripture. Eric never had impartation. Eric never, and don't be offended if your name's Eric, by the way, in the comments, but I'm just using it arbitrarily. But Eric, Eric's not in position. He's not in position to teach the body of Christ. He's not there. There is a training period. And what do we have? We got leaders throughout the body of Christ that aren't ready to preach and teach the word. You don't put up a novice. That's bottom line. That's why I don't agree with these people that, you know, they're like celebrities and then they get saved. And so everybody's so excited that this celebrity got saved. They have them start preaching everywhere. You're not in position to preach everywhere. You need to sit down in a church somewhere and let somebody preach to you and train you and, and literally raise you up in the faith blows my mind. You know why it's because they know it'll draw a crowd 
maybe draw some large offerings. So you've got a, you've got a celebrity who gets saved and then they've got them on a circuit doing a tour, doing conferences and preaching everywhere. You're not in position to preach everywhere. Now, there's a difference between if, if you want to have somebody stand up and preach, which they're not prepared to do, they're not called to do, they're not ready to do. And even if they are called to do it, they still need to have training. But it's another thing if you want to have them stand up and give their testimony. That's a whole other story. Because praise God for their testimony. I was a sinner. I was going through this. I heard the gospel. I'm so thankful that so-and-so witnessed to me while I was on this movie set. And I believed the gospel and the Lord pulled me into the kingdom. And now I'm, I'm saved and I confess Jesus as Lord. And I believe God. And that's a whole other thing. That has a turned in your Bibles to, you know, Luke chapter four. You're not in position to preach the word to God's people. Sit down, be discipled. And I'll tell you another thing. To me, one of the problems we have with these celebrity pastors that just want to get around these celebrities, you know, in the world, whether it be sports figures, movie stars, music stars, whatever it is, the problem we have with celebrity pastors is that they're more interested in taking selfies with the celebrities and hanging with them than they are to actually preach the word of truth to them and disciple them and to raise them up in strength and power. And as a result, what do you see happen? You see the celebrities who claim to be Christians living crazy. And everybody's like, well, I thought he said he's saved. I thought he, I thought he said he's a Christian now. How come that celebrity's still living like that? The reason is because you've got spiritual leaders around you that aren't willing because they're intimidated. They don't want to lose their friendship relationship with the celebrity. So they're unwilling to disciple them and to correct them and to reprove them and to rebuke them. And I'm just telling you, it's happening all over the place. And you wonder why there's people that say, well, I thought he was a Christian. How come he's talking like that? Why is he living like that? Why is he doing that? It's because nobody's discipling them. And there's a difference between conversion and discipleship. And that's why we developed the Miracle Word Digital Discipleship Program. The What's Next program is because I'm not interested in just making converts. I'm interested in discipling Christians and raising them up in the disciplines of the word. You got to obey this word. Amen. You've got to obey the word of God. And so you got craziness going on in the body of Christ. And it's not Pentecost. It's not what Pentecostal preaching is. It's just weirdness that got snuck in under the umbrella of Pentecost. And that's not Pentecost. It's just foolishness. And it needs to be rebuked. And the true Pentecost needs to be preached and demonstrated in our churches and wherever we go. There's my friend Alan in the comments. Love you, buddy. Counter today. A true Pentecostal. That's not a weirdo. Amen. And pastoring, preaching the gospel. And so what do we have? We have the last days coming to pass. People, just as the, the uh, apostle prophesied, would accumulate to themselves teachers. Well, let's go over to Hebrews 6. How do we avoid this? How do we avoid being a weirdo in the body of Christ? How do we avoid uh, being one of those people that's just always looking for angel feathers, gold dust, and the rose of Sharon fragrance? How do, you, how do you avoid that? Well, the way that you avoid it is by not, not only humbling yourself, but being willing to receive correction, receive reproof, receive teaching, and then abiding by it. Because if you'll do that, it will help you immensely to be raised up in maturity in the kingdom of God. 
And so uh, I want to I want to start with uh, Hebrews six, and I'll start reading with um, verse nine. Hebrews six nine. Listen to this now. Now, I believe everything should be read in context. So I will say when he start when this chapter starts, he goes into teaching about people who have rejected, uh, you know, teaching and that they have known the heavenly gift of the Holy Spirit. They've experienced the powers of the age to come and they still have fallen away and they still have rejected it. He said, it's impossible to restore them to repentance because there's no power that's more powerful than the one they've already experienced. So if that power, which is the most powerful force there is in the universe, the, the Holy Ghost and his, his uh, conviction, if he pulled them in and then they still experienced, you know, uh, being filled with the Holy Ghost, being saved, all that, and they still reject it, what power is more powerful than what they've already got? And that's why I say it's impossible to renew them to repentance because you can't find some more powerful power to then bring them in. They've already come in contact with the Holy Ghost and rejected him. And nothing's more powerful than the Holy Spirit drawing you. And so after he's done with that explanation, the apostle here, and uh, and gets into it from verse nine, he kind of transitions and he says, though we speak this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things than that, things that belong to salvation. Verse 10, for God's not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you've shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire, verse 11, that each one of you uh, to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Look at how. Verse 12, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators, this is huge, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So notice the way that the Bible gives us a lead into how to not be one of those people that gets off into error. Somebody that's going off into, you see what I mean? The way that we do that is that we're imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So we're watching people go before us inheriting the promises of God. This is not a complex thing to, to understand. It's like, let me just say that in my own paraphrase, the Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. paraphrase. Find somebody that's not a weirdo, but still is spiritual and holy and inheriting the promises of God and imitate their life. That's as simple as you can put it. It's like, can you imagine if you were going to do some sort of a um, internship or an apprenticeship? Imagine if you were a pipe fitter or imagine if you were going to become a, you know, whether it's a plumber, electrician, whatever. You know what you, know what you do when you're apprenticing? You're with someone who's been doing it for years and know what they're doing. And you're sitting there watching pipe fitting. You're watching plumbing. You're watching the dude run electric, you know, do electricity and do, do repairs uh, on the electricity or the electrical work in, the, in a building. And then what's happening? You're learning. They're teaching by experience. They've done it for 20 years. You're just starting. So what are you doing? You're learning how to do it by imitating the things that your uh, mentor is doing in front of you. 
And he may turn to you and say, now this is a special case. You won't often see this in the plumbing of a building, but these people put this in in a weird way and it somehow got grandfathered in through uh, the, the, the city ordinances. And so for some reason, this plumbing stayed like this. And so you're not going to often see this in 2021, but when you do see this, here's how you deal with this kind of a plumbing mistake. And they're going to sit there and show you so that if you ever run into that again, they're like, oh yeah, you know what? I saw this back in 2021 when the guy I was apprenticing under was teaching me plumbing and and uh, this is a very rare thing, but sometimes they make this mistake. This is how you fix it. The same thing happens in Christianity. When you have somebody that goes ahead of you that says, now listen, uh, you're going to see sometimes people that try to say this from the Bible, or they're going to try to make this argument. It's not a scriptural argument. You're going to say this error. You're going to hear this false doctrine. Don't listen to that. Okay. Don't listen to what they're saying. That's not true. And here's why. Boom, 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 boom in the scripture. That's how we know that what they're saying is not. So what's going to happen as you're learning and imitating those who have with faith and patience, obtain the promises that when you get there, you're going to be able to say, you know what? Uh, I remember back in 2021, that same false doctrine was trying to spread through the church. And I remember brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, they showed me from the word. That's, this is why that's not true. And then you've got impartation of wisdom because you've imitated those that by faith and patience have obtained the promises of God. I can look at his life and say, he's not a weirdo. She's not a weirdo. But she's also Pentecostal and obtaining the promises of God. They speak in tongues. They, they're givers and receivers. They're ones that are living holy. They're ones that are doing what the word of God says. They're being blessed because of it, but they're not weirdos. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to imitate them. I'm going to imitate them. Part of it is this. Go with me again like we were yesterday to 2 Thessalonians 2. 2 Thessalonians 2 will help you to see this. Because Paul, you know what he would do? He would give warnings to churches. He'd give warnings to churches because look what happens when you start listening to wrong voices. Look what happens when you start listening to wrong teaching. Look what happens to the church because here's a church that's a young church. And so they're easily led down the wrong path. And that's what was happening to the Thessalonians. He wrote them the first letter, as I explained to you a couple days ago. He wrote them the first letter about the day of the Lord that would be approaching. And then after he wrote it, they started seeing all the persecution that was hitting their church. And then somebody started telling them, yeah, the reason is because you missed the rapture. And now you're in the day of the Lord. And this is the wrath of God being poured out on the earth. And it freaked them out. And it would freak anybody out. It's like when I, when we were kids, my cousin Jonathan and his sister Jessica uh, would come home from school. You know, their parents would be still working. They, they'd come home from school, and uh, Jonathan, who's so ornery, and his sister's younger than he is. She's younger than me. They'd come home from from school, and there'd be nobody at the house. You know, my uncle Tiff would be out, maybe on the road preaching, but my aunt Judy might be at the store, might be whatever. And, and Jonathan would tell his sister, "Yep." We've, we've missed the rapture. Mom and dad are gone, you know, just to mess with her. And she'd weep and cry. No. Yeah. We missed the rapture. Mom's gone. Dad's gone. Now we're in that seven year tribulation period. And the antichrist is going to come. Like, no. Yeah. Yeah. They're gone for good. And we've missed it. That's how, that's how rough it was. But that's literally what was happening to this church. Somebody's coming to someone to the, somebody's coming to them. And telling them, yeah, you missed the rapture. This is the wrath of God, this persecution. This is the day of the Lord. 
And no! And so Paul has to write them another letter. And when Paul writes them another letter, what does he say? What does he say? He said, now listen, verse two, chapter two, verse one. Now listen, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and being gathered together with him, we ask you, brothers, don't be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit, now look at this, or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us. So what's he saying? If you've got some nut job coming into your church teaching you that the day of the Lord's already come, that you've missed the rapture, that now we're in that, don't listen to them. Whether it's a person coming into your church teaching it, or whether you get a letter that somebody lied and said is a letter from us, he said, do not. Then he gives them signs on how to know. Here's some signs, and I, I taught on that a couple of days ago. Here's some signs how you can know that the day of the Lord has not come because it can't come until these things happen. And he gives them signs. What's he doing? He's helping them from not being a weird by teaching them from the scripture. Teaching them from the scripture. I'll give you another example. Um, Paul, I dealt with this in my book on fasting, by the way, because one of the arguments that you'll hear from people that, well, you know, Paul didn't believe in fasting because, you know, he never taught it to any of the churches in the New Testament. I've heard that. People have, have had that argument with me because I'll teach on fasting, preach on fasting. Well, you know, that's not really for the New Testament church, brother, because Paul didn't really believe in fasting. He didn't even teach on it to any of the New Testament churches, which is a little bit foolish if you read the Bible, because look at Paul's life. First of all, twice in the book of Acts, actually three times, we have record in the book of Acts of Paul fasting. So we know he believed in it, even as a Christian, not just a Jew, not just a Pharisee, as a Christian, he fasted and prayed. So first of all, Paul did it. He was a faster and a prayer. But then one of the reasons he didn't have to um, write it in his letters about them fasting and praying is it's, it's something that they would have already been doing, right? So uh, one of the ways we know that is that Paul was going on missionary journeys and either starting these churches or coming to these churches and teaching them. And we know that, because he says it in his letters, we know that he was teaching these people to live like he lives. And he'd say it to him multiple times, live like I live. If you read what he said to the Corinthians, it was, he said it twice to them in a, in a letter, said it this way, follow me as I follow Christ. He's talking about his lifestyle. But then he goes on to say this in another part passage to the Corinthians, be ye imitators of me, imitate me, imitate how I live. But then here's what I pulled out in the book for people that have never seen this before. And, um, about, do we have one of those books down here, by the way, do we have one of the fasting books? I mean, you don't, if, if it's not down here, you don't have to go, go grab one. I just didn't know if we had one on the table, but but one of the things that he says is, he says, even though I can't be with you, I'm going to send Timothy to you. And then he's going to come and teach you how to live like I live. Think about that. Now, Timothy's his son in the gospel. Timothy's already living like Paul lives. He has protection from turning into a weirdo just because he has Paul, who's apostle, who's the father, spiritual father of his life. And that's what we need. He's got that spiritual father. And that way he's not going to turn out weird. 
He's not going to turn out weird. And so then Paul said, you know what, Timothy, you've been raised up. You've got the truth. You know what to do. I can't get to all these churches. So you go into them and start teaching them how to live like I live. That's impartation. So what, what's, what's Timothy going in there to do? He's going in those churches and saying, listen, you guys are a little, and, and, and look, many of these churches were. Look at the Corinthian church, for example. They were all out of sorts. They were immature. They had issues with sin. They had a dude in the church that was bragging about sleeping with his dad's wife, all this. He said, throw him out of the church. Turn his uh, soul over to Satan for, for the destruction of his soul. Like literally, he's toss him out. He won't listen to correction. Have nothing to do with him. Treat him like a sinner, a tax collector. Literally. They all, not only that, they, they were out of order in their church services. Just pure chaos. Pure chaos. Tons of people jumping up, giving words and tongues all at the same time. Chaos. And Paul had to run them down. In 1 Corinthians, 4, 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, he said, listen, in your church services, it's pure chaos. Don't have everybody jumping up, speaking in tongues and giving a word at the same time. Maybe two or three at the most and one at a time. And if you have it happen, somebody stand up and interpret it. And if there's nobody to stand up and interpret what's being said, then don't say it. I'd rather speak to you uh, five words in our known language than I would a thousand words in tongues so that the whole assembly may be built up and be edified and encouraged and strengthened. That's the purpose of that gathering. That's the purpose of that gathering. And so Paul, what's Paul doing? Teaching them how to not be uh, a bunch of weirdos where people come in and say, man, this church is out there. I don't even know what they're doing. It's pure chaos. You know, it's in the name of Pentecost. People are dropping the elbow from somebody off the top rope you know, it's sufficient to lay, just lay hands, you know, be healed. Ah, you know, it's like, don't be weird. I've seen all kinds of weird stuff. And the only time I've done something actually weird is when the Lord spoke to me to do it. And I even didn't want to do it. So, you know, that's a sign to you. If you're like looking to do weird things, you're probably a weirdo. But like, I, I heard a weird thing from the Lord multiple times. And I'm like, Lord, I don't want to do that. These people will think I'm a nut job. And I don't want to do it. I mean, maybe you've heard me tell the story of how I picked that guy up in North Carolina and bounced him around the church over my shoulder, picked him up over the top of my head and put him on my shoulders and just jumped and bounced him around the whole church. People looked at me like I was a weirdo, but I'm not, I, I didn't want to do that. I heard the Lord say, go pick that guy up over your shoulders and bounce him around the church. I didn't want to. I said, Lord, people, this is the first time I've been at this church. People are going to think I'm a nut job, but I obeyed him anyway. And I went, picked him up, bounced him around, put him back down. He fell out in the Holy Ghost, began to cry. I laid hands on him, began to prophesy. After the service, his pastor came to me, who was not the pastor of that church. They were visiting. And he said, Brother Ted, that meant a lot to that young man. He said, because I've been telling him for a while that he's supposed to be the youth pastor of our church. And he said, no, I can't, I can't be. I'm not in position, you know, whatever. I'm not a role model. And then he said, tonight when we drove to this meeting together, I told him again in the car, you're supposed to be the youth pastor. He said, pastor, if the Lord wants me to be the youth pastor, he's going to have to give me a crazy sign. <laughs> There's your crazy sign. Picked him up, bounced him around. And then I, what did I start prophesying over him? God was going to use him to bring in a youth revival. So there's his sign. He asked for it. I didn't ask for it. He's the one that said the Lord's going to have to do that. Well, the Lord heard him. And then asked me to do it. And I didn't even want to do it. You see the difference? 
I didn't want, and I'm not, it's not like I'm bouncing people around in every service. I've done that maybe twice or three times in my entire ministry of, you know, you got to understand something that we're actually, the word and the spirit are not two separate things. They work together. You know, these, these people that think, well, you either got to be a church that follows the word and doctrine, or you got to be a church that flows in the Holy Ghost. It's not that way. It's not that way. They work together. And I made this point last night. If you're one of these churches that's always just all spirit, 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 and there's no word content, you are, mark it down in your spiritual journal. You will get weird. Just mark it down in your notes. If it's all spiritual manifestations, time after time, and there's no word being preached, there's no doctrine being laid out, you will get weird. There's no question about it. You absolutely will get weird. But here's the other side of that, though. If all your church does is just word, 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 and there's no opening for the Holy Spirit to move in your church, there's no opening for the, the manifestations of the Holy Ghost, there's no room for the gifts of the Spirit, your church will get dry and dead without question, without question, because God honors his word. So you would actually have to be suppressing the move of the Holy spirit in your church. As you preach the word, if you're truly preaching the full gospel, if you're preaching the doctrines of scripture, you would have to, because the Holy spirit honors his word and the Holy spirit backs up his word and the Holy spirit manifests his word. So you'd actually, if you're truly preaching the gospel, you would have to suppress the work of the Holy Spirit in your church in order to do that. And that's why the church gets dead and dry. It's not because the Holy Spirit doesn't want to move when you preach the word only. It's because you preach it and you declare it and you, you talk about his promises. Then he comes to fulfill them. And you say, no, 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 that's not on the schedule. No, no, we don't have time for that. No, no, that would make visitors uncomfortable. And that's what many churches have done. That's what many churches have done. And so what happens? They stick, well, we stick to the word here, brother. Yeah, what that really means is we don't have time for the moving of the Holy Spirit. Or it means we're scared to step out in the Holy Ghost because we're enjoying the uh, church growth we're having. And we're afraid that if we start doing these things, people that have been coming that are visitors will actually start to get weirded out and stop coming back. But you need to understand something. There is a, a really, really good mesh. There is a real way to do this in such a way that it's not driving people away from church, but it's also not grieving the Holy Spirit. There is an order. There is a, an administration of the Spirit, if you will. We don't try to box the Holy Spirit in but at the same time, we don't try to force something if he's not moving in that direction. It'd be a good example last night here at the revival. You do what the Holy Spirit is doing and you don't try to do other things that he's not doing. And so last night I came in, we preached. I preached the word. I preached on end times Bible prophecy. I preached on what kind of a day we're living in. Preached on the importance of what it is to be a Christian in this time. That we need boldness. We need the Holy Ghost. 
And then I ministered to a few people that were there who the Lord pointed out to me, those that the Lord guided me to. I called them out, gave them a word from the Holy Spirit. I don't know these people. I'm not making stuff up on the fly. I can only say what I hear the Holy Spirit impress me to say, and that's all I say. I don't want to say more than that, and I don't want to say less than that. I don't want to stand up and say, well, Lord, I don't want to say anything to any of these people because, you know, I just have never been here before, and I think they might think I'm weird. Well, now I'm grieving the Holy Spirit because he's leading me to speak and give a word to these people. And you know it's true. You know, it's like it blows my mind because you you call somebody out that you've never met before. You've never encountered them. You don't know who they are. And the Lord says, give them this message. And I, I'll just say very simply the thing that the Lord says. Now, you th- you think if I pulled somebody out of the crowd and gave them a word and it was just out of my flesh or it wasn't for them, they'd just stand there looking at me like, okay, all right. But when you give a word to somebody from the Holy Spirit that you've never met before, that you don't know who they are, and they begin to weep and cry and makeups running down their face, you get the clue, maybe this was a word for them. You understand what I mean? But I'm also not going to make the service what it's not. It's not some overseas crusade. I'm not going to stand there with 50 people in the room. Shout hallelujah! You know, it's like... Don't try to make it what it's not. You know, I'll tell you another thing. You know, I'm an evangelist, yes, but you have to also do what the Lord's doing in that service. What are you going to do? Let me ask you a question. What are you going to do if you go to a place as an evangelist, talking about me, and I come into a church and I I know in my spirit, it's not that I won't give a salvation altar call. I give give a salvation altar call, I would say 99% of the services that I preach. But like I stand up and give a, a, an altar call for salvation and no hands go up. And it's not because I don't preach against sin and it's not because I don't preach about salvation. And you got no hands that go up because everybody in the room's a Christian. So what am I going to do? Am I going to sit there and get all uh, you know disappointed in myself and go home and say, what's wrong with me? Nobody got saved today. Or am I going to recognize there were no sinners there? So you can't try to turn that whole service into a soul winning crusade, you know, and then what are you going to do? Try to force Christians to feel guilty and come down to the altar. Cause you want to see people standing at the altar getting saved. No. And if you're in a place where there's no sinners in the building and honestly, you've given an altar call and you've actually called for salvation and you've preached salvation and you've preached repentance and nobody lifts their hand, take the clue. It might be the fact you're in a believers meeting. And I know that evangelists are called to win the lost. And yes, we do see the law. You know, it's like last week when we were over in, in Michigan, there's for every service, there was between 20 and 30 people coming to the altar to be saved every service. Okay. Well, I called it and people came. That's because there were sinners in the building or people that need to rededicate their life to God. But then I came here and there's been a night where nobody lifted their hand last night. I think what? Seven people or so came down. Yeah. Huh? About eight. About eight. So eight people. So last name, seven, eight people came to the altar to get saved or to rededicate their heart to the Lord. Well, thank God. I preached it, preached on the end times, called, called for repentance, called for people to come to the altar. All right. Seven, eight people came to the altar. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It took place last night. But what about the night before? If I called, nobody came. Am I going to beat myself up when I go home? And then what are you going to do? Try to force stuff to happen that's not there. This is where you get into error. And I heard Brother Hagin teach on this one time. And uh, 
He said, you know, you don't, first of all, you never base your life or your ministry on a spiritual gift. You base it on the word of God. We don't walk by miracles. We walk by faith. We don't walk by signs and wonders. We walk by faith and not by sight. So faith comes by hearing the word of God. We walk by the word. We stand on the word. We believe the word. We live the word. Because what are you going to do if your whole faith is based on a sign? What are you going to do if you go and you, there's no sign or wonder that night? What are you going to do if there's no sign or wonder tomorrow? You say, well, I guess I'm just not saved. No, I guess I'm not called. No, you stand on the word. You preach the word. Doesn't mean you don't press in for the miraculous. You keep pressing in, but you're not, your faith is not based. Let me tell you something. If I never saw another miracle from now until Jesus came, would it make me stop believing miracles are real? No. Would I, stop, would I start believing God doesn't do them anymore? No. I don't need miracles to believe in Christ. I'm already a Christian. But sinners need to see them. It's the dinner bell for salvation. And so, um, the thing is, you don't try to make it what it's not. And Brother Hagin said, he said, listen, if, if, if you have a ministry that's based on a gift, it's going to fail. You look at any ministry that's based their ministry on a gift rather than on the word and they fail. Look at these prophets that try to make, build their ministry off prophecy. They fail. I can think of a guy right now, two years ago, he was everywhere. He was at every conference, every revival, every television network. He was everywhere. And now you don't hear his name. You don't hear his name. Basing his whole ministry on a gift. You can't base your ministry on a gift. You base it on the word of God. Any great preacher that's ever lasted the test of time, 60 years in ministry, 70 years in ministry, you know what they all had in common? They based their ministry on the word of God. Doesn't mean they didn't have miracles. Look at Oral Roberts. He had many, many miracles. Laid hands on over a million people. He laid hands on so many people that his rotator cuff fell off his shoulder. And he had to have surgery. My, my dad helped him put his uh, dry clothes on after preaching one, one night under Brother Shambach's tent. He said, Brother Ted, help me take my suit coat off of my, my wet clothes so I can put my, put my uh, dry clothes on. When he took his suit jacket off, there was blood running down his white dress shirt. He said, Brother Oral Roberts, he said, Brother Roberts, you're bleeding. He said, yeah, I just had a surgery where they reattached my ro rotator cuff because I've laid hands on over a million people and wore it out. He said, but when Brother Shambach calls you to come and preach in the tent, you come. So he's recovering from a surgery and willing to come and preach and lay hands on the people and open, the stitches opened up while he's praying for God's people. So this is not a man who had no signs, wonders, or miracles, but he, he had a ministry that endured because it was based on the word of God. Look at Brother Hagin. He had signs, wonders, and miracles and manifestations of the Holy Ghost, but his ministry was based on the word of God. You see, anybody that's had successful ministry for long periods of time. Look at my father. He has an abundance of signs and wonders and miracles, but his ministry is not based on them. His ministry is based on the word of God. And so what? His ministry endures. He's now 45 plus years in the ministry preaching. 45, almost five decades. Amen. And so you, you, you quickly understand what's going on. You quickly understand that yes, we need the word. We walk by the word, but we don't Stop pressing in for signs, wonders, and miracles. But you can't base your ministry on that. You base it on the word. You don't base your life on the miracles. You base them on the word of God. And then what happens is when people try to force it. I've watched this happen. And I've watched it in a sad way. That 
Because the reason I told you about people that base their ministries on a sign gift or on signs and wonders. Brother Hagen made this point. What do you do if you go into a meeting and you're preaching and you're known as a prophet, but the Lord doesn't come on you to prophesy in that service? He doesn't lead you to prophesy, but everybody's expecting you to prophesy. You know what the pressure is? Well, I'm going to stand up and give a word anyway because I'm a prophet. If God didn't give you a word to prophesy, you better not open up your mouth and say, thus says the Lord. Because that's a lie. And now you're manipulating the gift and you're abusing the gift and you're grieving the Holy Spirit because you're saying that God said something he never said. I saw a preacher, same guy I was talking about a moment ago, that based his whole ministry on a gift. Whole ministry is based on a gift, not the word. And he literally stood up in a service and gave a prophetic word. Later, they found out that the word that he gave was verbatim, a word that a popular witch who has a show on, on YouTube gave regarding that year as, as a prediction by, a, by an unclean spirit, by a familiar spirit. And that familiar unclean spirit who gave the word before he did, before the prophet did, and then he stands up and gives the same exact word as a witch, as a witch, verbatim. It was shortly after that. You didn't see him anywhere anymore, anywhere. Because all you, if you're going to force things that aren't there, it's a dangerous thing. I watched him. I knew it was his downfall was coming and it was sad. When he went on a talk show and somebody asked him, now you're a prophet. That, man, you, that means you can prophesy and, and you can speak from God? Oh, yes. There was so much pride on him. It blew my mind. So much pride and arrogance on him. I couldn't, I couldn't fathom it. Oh, yeah, I'm a prophet. I can prophesy. And she said, now, does that just happen to you in services? Or can you, you know, can, can that happen? Oh, no, I can prophesy any time I want. I can prophesy at the drop of a hat. I could prophesy right now if I want to. And she said, okay, prophesy to me. And then he started just going off with some, you know, nonsense. Some of the most general stuff that anybody's ever said. It wasn't a specific prophecy, but it was the arrogance. It was the pride. God resists the proud and gives more grace to the humble. If the Holy Ghost is not moving in that direction, you don't have any pressure to move in that direction. Close it down and go home. And, and this would be, no, I can prophesy anytime. I'm a prophet. I can come out of my mouth. I'm prophesy. I can prophesy to you right now. And then as AJ said, and I've heard this for years from my father and others, you open yourself up to familiar spirits. How do you get to the place where you're saying the same thing that a witch is saying? Obviously, it's because you've opened yourself up to a familiar spirit. Because I'll guarantee you one thing, the Holy Ghost ain't saying the same thing a witch is saying. You're never going to hear a witch agree with the Holy Ghost. And you're never going to hear a witch agree with the Word of God. So if you got somebody that stands up and starts saying the same thing a familiar spirit is saying, it could be because they are trying to force manifestations of the Holy Spirit that are just not there. And yes, we want a move of God. But do you understand? Every service is different. Every service is different. They're not all going to be the same. What God did last night, he may do something completely different tonight. 
And I, that's why, I'll tell you what really helped me one time. Before I tell you that, Jessica Tubbs asks, do you think these examples come from lack of relationship? In one sense, I do, Jessica, because if we will keep holy men and women of God in our lives that can correct us, and if we stay open to correction, then if they see errors in our lives, they can call us up and speak to us and tell us, hey, I've noticed such and such is happening and I've noticed you've been saying this or this. I'd be very careful if I were you. Do you know, it doesn't have to be a spiritual father because what do you do when you get old enough where there's no one older than you? <laughs> and like you are the spiritual father. You know, I think to myself, like my dad is gonna be what? He's 66 coming up, 66 in a few days. You know, you're at 66. Like who is, who is more... You know, who in the ministry that's active and, and powerful is going that's older than my dad? Who's 80 years old that's still preaching and operating gifts, signs, wonders, and miracles and still active in ministry? Who's 80 that's going to call my dad up and be like, now, Brother Ted, I saw you saying some things that I don't agree with. Those people aren't even doing it. Some of them aren't even on the earth anymore. So you will get to a place where you're uh, like you are in that place where I'm imparting to others. So what does that mean? No one can speak into your life anymore? No. You have people that are your peers. And that's why it's important to stay humble. Because you might have, God may have somebody call you up that's your same age or that's doing the same thing you're doing. And they may call you up with pure love in their spirit and say, hey, I, I noticed that you were saying this. I wanted to kind of question you on it. I wanted to kind of... And you know, there's people that are so immature that they can't handle that. That they get mad, well, I ain't talking to him anymore. He doesn't agree with what I do. How about just stay humble? Who cares if people agree with what you do or not? Stay humble and, and re recognize, you know what? The Lord might be using someone to give me a warning so I don't fall into error. Everybody, every human being could fall into error if they don't listen to instruction or be follow the lead of the Holy Ghost. Your flesh, there's nothing good in your flesh. Nothing. So if you stop listening to the Holy Spirit and are so proud that you won't even listen to correction, you've got a problem. You've got a problem. So you have to understand this. You've got to, and I'm answering her question. I do agree that there's a lack of relationship. If you don't have anybody, and you know, sadly, one of the reasons this happens is because sometimes these people get popular and they start uh, taking up large offerings. And you know, I know for a fact there's some of these churches and I would never do this because I think it's absolutely stupid and it's dishonest and I believe it's, it's in the end sinful. But you know, when you, when you go into a church, when you become popular and you sit down behind closed doors, you're like, all right, pastor. And the pastor sets a deal with you. And he's like, well, we are having you into our church, but we're going to split the offerings 70-30 or 60-40. Oh, and they're doing that because of your popularity and they know people are going to come in and give and you know that you've given them your church or your, the opportunity to use your facilities or whatever. That's crooked. Because if there's people that are giving... And you're, they're being told that what, you, what you're sowing is going into the kingdom of God and it's going into this ministry to do whatever. And then you're, you're actually cutting it out to other people. You know, it's dishonest. It's dishonest. And it's stupid. It's also stupid. But you know, one of the reasons that these guys, nobody will say anything to them is because they're coming in, uh, drawing the crowds, taking up offerings, making them money. And some of these pastors care more about getting a check than they do bringing correction to some of these younger guys.
And I'm telling you something, that's why they end in destruction. Because if you don't have proper voices speaking into your life, you can end in destruction. And you can do so pretty quickly. Pretty quickly. Because I'll tell you what you can do. I'll give you a... I'll give you an an example. What if you were going to the gym trying to work out, but you were doing, you you didn't have much experience working out and you're doing exercises that with weight that's, you know, probably about the heaviest you could lift, but your technique is like crazy off and you got a horrible bench press technique or you've got horrible to the point where you could injure yourself, which guys do injure themselves working out all the time. And you don't know any better. You're just out there thinking it's good and trying to do the thing that you want to do, but you're doing it wrong, which will cause you harm. This is the benefit of a trainer walking up to you and going, hey, that technique's way off, bro. You're going you're gonna to rip your muscle. You're going to tear your muscle. You're going you're gonna to injure yourself. Don't lift that way. Don't lift that way. Or, or if you're sit, sitting there doing curls the wrong way and you're rocking your back and swinging your back and swinging your arms, and then you're sitting there frustrated because your biceps aren't growing. Until a dude walks by and says, hey, you can't swing your back and rock your back. and all, You know, you're not doing it right. That's why you're not growing. You can't stand there in the gym and get mad and say, who do you think you are? You don't know me. You can't tell me how to bench press. You can't. T-. Yes, he's a trainer. He's actually been there, done that, got the growth. And he's trying to help you get the growth. And here's what people, this is what happens. They get into pride and then they look at these people and say, who are you talking to? Who do you think you are to tell me how to prophesy? I came up in this. I know. Pride, arrogance, and it destroys their lives and it destroys their ministries. And you don't see them anymore because they can't take correction. They cannot hear even suggestion because they've gotten too prideful. Well, what happens? they start getting weird. (laughs) They start getting very, very weird. And they start forcing manifestations of the Holy Spirit that just aren't there. Don't do something that the Holy Spirit didn't ask you to do. Darren Idle says, Pastor Ted, and Darren just gave me a church because I'm not a pastor, but he just gave me one. I'm Pastor Ted. How old are you? I'm 38 years old. In August, I'll be 39. That's how old I am. Not old. Thank you, Lord. Keep me young. I'm young. In Jesus' name, I'm young, I'm young, I'm young. In Jesus' name. 38 years old. Today, I'm married 15 years, three beautiful children. And I'm thankful for it. Beautiful wife, who's also, no, she's 29. Amen, she's 29. Praise God. She's 29. <laughs> and it's important. You know, I, I love having people in my life. I have the rare benefit of having a natural father who's also my spiritual father. And many people may not get to have that, but I'm thankful that I do get to have that. My actual father is also my spiritual father, and it's a blessing. But I heard something that, uh, and thank you, by the, by the way, to everybody that's wishing Carolyn and I a happy anniversary. Today is the da- actual day, uh, the 22nd of April. We were married in, 20, in 2006. So today is 15 years of being married, and um, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, I'm very thankful for Carolyn. She's a great wife, very anointed, and a great wife, a great mother, and a, a powerful woman of God. She's preaching coming up this weekend at World Harvest Church in uh, Roswell, Georgia, 
and I'm very excited about that. She's going to be speaking, and then we're both traveling together uh, to West Virginia camp meeting. So I'm so thankful all the doors are opening for her, and God's been using her, and uh, it's only going to get better. I thank God for her. Um, I wanted to say, Dr. Rodney, I heard him say one time, Dr. Rodney Howard Brown, he said, uh, preachers, he was talking to young preachers. He said, preachers, stop announcing every night what each night of your revival is going to be. And I thought, man, I love you, Cynthia. I thought, man, I've done that. You know, I've done that. And sometimes you do it to build people's faith. Sometimes you do it. Thank you, Pastor Kim Gibb. Uh, you know, sometimes you do it to build people's faith. Sometimes you do it uh, to give something people to, for, for something to people like, to expect tomorrow night or the next night or whatever. And I'm not saying it's not a hard and fast rule. If the Holy Spirit truly tells you what he's going to do, then it's all right to say it. If the Holy Spirit actually lets you know and gives you a leading or guiding. But I think he was dealing with it more from the side of don't set a schedule and say, well, Monday night's the night we pray for the deaf. Tuesday night's the night that we pray for those that are blind. Thursday night, we pray for the cancer patients. You know, you know Friday night is Holy Ghost impartation night. You know, Wednesday night is anointing with oil service. He, I think he's more, more the uh, talking about, uh, I'm just messing around, Darryl, Darren. Um, I was an associate pastor for, for nine years, Darren. So uh, I was called Pastor Ted for a long time. From my youth group and everybody in the church, they called me Pastor Ted, so I'm just messing with you. But I thought to myself, well, he's obviously talking about people that are doing it in the flesh or just creating a schedule. And the reason he said, he said, stop saying this night is this and this night's this. And then he said, you're not the Holy Ghost. And that struck me because he's exactly right. I checked in the mirror and I'm not the Holy Ghost. I'm not the Holy Ghost. So why would I try to assume the role of the Holy Ghost and tell him what he's going to do in my services. Because they're not my services in the first place. They're his services. It's Jesus Christ's church and it's his people and it's his services. We're just servants of God that hear his instruction and carry out his plan. Right? So that made a lot of sense to me. It made a lot of sense because um, when I heard that, it was like, well, that's true because one of the things that can happen is if you start setting these things up, well, tomorrow night is, is death night. The next night is Holy Ghost night. But what if you get into the service and then you see the Holy Ghost is leading you in another direction? Are you going to say, nope, 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 sorry, Lord, I've already announced that tonight is the night for the death. You know, you see what I mean? And then what are you doing? The Holy Ghost is leading you here, but you're rejecting him and saying, no, I said it's the night the deaf are being healed. Well, are you the healer or is he the healer? And this is where people get into a mistake because even though they're trying to manifest the power of God, they're still rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you, <laughs> Mackenzie said, once you said, stop praying the, the lyrics of the next song before you sing it. So I stopped. <laughs> Father, we just thank you that your love is reckless. Amen. We thank you that you're chasing us down, fighting till we're found, leaving the 99. Amen. Let's sing it, folks. Um, but think of this. Think of this. My father's been a, one of the greatest examples of this I've ever seen. I've ever seen. Because he flows by the Holy Ghost 
uh, as well as or better than anybody I've ever seen in the ministry. And one of the things that I've seen is because I have, I have seen my father announce things that the Holy Spirit told him. The Lord shows me that, you know, Thursday night, uh, bring the deaf because the de- every, I've seen him fill up offering plates, offering plates. There was a service that the whole offering plate was filled with hearing aids because that many deaf people got healed in one service. The whole offering, it was like an offering of hearing aids. Just that many people. Love you, Chad. And so uh, I've seen him do that. But then there's other times where I've heard my father say, now tomorrow night, I'm going to, I'm going to show you something about what God showed me about this, or I'm going to, I'm going to do that. And he gets into the service the next night and the Holy ghost is obviously doing something different than what he said the previous night. So you know what he'll do? He doesn't do what he said he would do. He does what the Holy ghost is leading him to do. And then at the end of the service, he might, he might say, well, last night I told you I was going to teach on this. You'll have to come back tomorrow night. Cause I'm not, I'm not getting to it tonight. The Lord's doing something else. And then people come back the next night. And again, the Holy spirit may do something different and he'll go that direction and say, yeah, I know we've been trying to get this to this for three or four nights, but you know, you just have to keep coming because we're just being led by the spirit. Well, obviously we're not going to try to override what the Holy ghost wants to do with something that we just plan to do. And the whole goal of a Christian is to be led by the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible say in Romans 8, 14? Those that are sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. And so without question, without question, we have got to be people who desire to be led by the Spirit of God. And that's how you, that's one of the main ways that you uh, keep from being weird, keep from getting weird, is that you, number one, stay humble and meek. And be willing to take correction. And number two, stay in the word of God. Don't preach things that are outside the word of God. Don't come up with all these weird revelations. You know, even as a Christian, I see Christians do stuff and I think to myself, what are you doing? You know, people be like, I really feel like I should pick up the book of one Enoch because I've heard there's a lot of stuff in there that's just mind blowing. It's like, why are you going to spend the time to read the book of Enoch? And you don't even read the Bible. There's people that don't even have a daily Bible reading plan. They don't even spend time in full devotional time with the Lord. And they want to get out on all this trend stuff, this, all this fad stuff. I feel like I really need to go through the book of Enoch. You haven't even gone through the Bible. (laughs) It blows my mind. I feel like I need to get through all the apocryphal works of the church. It's like, why? You've not even gone through the Bible this year one time. Make the main thing the main thing. Let the main thing be the main thing. (laughs) Chad said, Jesus drew people to him everywhere he went and he wasn't weird. He was powerful. Now, John the Baptist, on the other hand, that dude was a little weird. (laughs) But you understand. Yeah, AJ, I'm going to get my Bible after my devotional reading of the book of Jasher. Yeah, exactly. It's like, what's going on with people who want to get into the fads, but they don't want to stick with the main thing? Read your Bible. Pray. And then pray in the Holy Spirit, be led by the Holy Ghost and be correctable, be, be somebody who's humble enough to receive correction and then adhere to it, if, especially if it's good. And that will keep you. Ask yourself this, is the thing I'm seeking found in the Bible? Why do you got people? And that's the other thing, you know, is that there, the Bible prophesies that in the last days you'll have people that are preaching doctrines of devils. 
And I believe that's what the hyper grace message is. Doctrines of devils. I really believe it. But I want you to, I want you to hear this today. Is what I'm seeking found in the Bible? Put it in the comments section. I really didn't have you write too much today because I've just been ranting, but put that in the comments section. Is what I'm seeking found in the Bible? If it's not found in the Bible, why am I seeking it? Well, brother, we need the Rose of Sharon. We need to smell his fragrance. We need angel feathers. We need gold dust. We need to see it. It's like if, if that's not in the Bible, if the early church, remember this, if Jesus didn't seek it, if the apostles didn't seek it, if the early church didn't seek it, why are we trying to seek it? It makes no sense. It makes no sense. And I know that there are signs and wonders. Somebody asked one time, what's a wonder? That's something that happens that makes people wonder. What was that? And I've seen things that are supernatural. Now, if you have something that happens because it is truly a wonder, a sign, praise God. But we're not seeking after those things. I'm not going after those. You understand? I've seen services. Somebody said, um, Jen Spearing said in the comments, it's sort of a confusing question, but if it's not in the Bible, then is it true? Because I recently unfollowed someone because they were confirming names of demons. But that is, but the name isn't in the word. Absolutely. That got really big in the 80s, Jen, where people were starting to say, now over our city, there's this demon and this demon. We need to pull it down. It's like, where do you even get the names of the demon? That's what always struck me. It's like, how are you even finding the names of the demons? Is there like a demon naming book at Barnes and Noble next to the baby naming book? It's like, I don't know where you're getting the names of the demons because it's not in the Bible. I mean, we have Legion, you know, Beelzebul, which which is the devil. You know, but where do you get these demon names? I don't even know. And so uh, I would unfollow them too, because why are they trying to confirm the name of demons is the question. What's the purpose? Why are, why are people so focused on demons when we could be focused on the Holy Spirit or focused on Jesus? Demons are nothing. They don't even hold a candle to the power of God. Satan is nothing. <laughs> Oscar Hewick said, Google, they're finding the demon names on Google. <laughs> you understand? It's like they're nothing. And so I would be the same. I'd be suspect of that and be like, I don't know. I don't, you know, as the younger kids are saying, I hear them say all the time, you're sus. <laughs> What's that game among us? Is that among us? You're sus. You're sus. And so I, I don't, I don't get with it because I don't, it's not in the Bible. I don't need to, I don't need to bother with it. If it's not in the Bible, I don't need to bother with it. And so I encourage people, is what I'm seeking found in the Bible? Because why? If, if, if you see, if, if Jesus wasn't looking for it, if the apostles weren't looking for it, if the early church wasn't looking for it, why am I looking for it? Why am I trying to get into it? And uh, Jen said, yes, the name was in Google, but not in the Bible. My husband said unfollow. And I agree with your husband. I agree with your husband. Unfollow. That account was sus. That's all I'm going to say. But in all seriousness, and we love people, but we just wish they weren't so weird. Because what happens is, is that when you're going to actually win the lost, did you ever ask yourself this question? Why is it that those weird churches, 
Why is it that the weird churches always seem to be the ones that don't have souls being one? They're just, it's us for no more. We need a more weird manifestations. That's what they focus on, not the lost. Did you, ever, did you ever notice that? God's main thing they don't even focus on. Now, the Dead Sea Scrolls were a good thing. We're, we're thankful, Yanil, that the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Very thankful. Because we found older uh, copies of manuscripts in the Dead Sea Scrolls than we ever knew we had. And it also confirmed to us how accurate the manuscripts of the Bible we have currently even are. They were, scholars were blown away, blown away to find even like the book of Isaiah was like 99.9% accurate. And the only what they, the, the differences they found were in punctuation and spelling, word order. Amazing, amazing. But you know, some of this weird stuff you're seeing, one of the worst things you could ever do, let me give you a tip before I pray for you. One of the worst things you could ever do is hang out in the Christian bookstore. <laughs> it's one of the worst things you could ever do. There is so much weird crap in the Christian bookstore. I, I've, I've not seen the, it blows my mind. I go back through, I go look through the books and I'm like, who's writing this crap? As like, you're looking at it, it's like, this stuff has no bearing on the Christian life whatsoever. And some of it's so weird, so weird. And then also, I've, not, I've still not figured this one out yet. Why are there so many Amish romance novels? I, I, I can't figure it out. It's like, there's a massive section. This must be a huge like market because there's a massive section in the Christian bookstores of Amish romance novels. There's always like an Amish woman on the front with like her head covering, like running through like a field of wheat, like towards like a dude with no shirt on. I, I don't understand the big market for the Amish romance novel. I mean, I'm, I'm, apparently we're going to have to start writing miracle word Amish romance novels because apparently <laughs> it's a massive, massive market. I, I didn't even know that Amish people went to Barnes and Noble, but apparently they do. And getting these romance novels. But yeah. <laughs> Mackenzie. And I gazed upon thine ankle. <laughs> that was a gift to me today. Oh, man. That's right. Cue the Amish Paradise theme by Weird Al Yankovic. It's true. It's a huge deal. But don't hang out there because you're going to get so many of these weird things. Do you know how many people? And listen. <laughs> I quivered at the sight of thine bonnet. <laughs> oh, Mackenzie's getting me today. She's getting me. Um. <laughs> I quivered at the sight of thine bonnet. Um, <laughs> where was I at before that? What was I talking about? Do anybody remember? It, but what was I saying? I was saying something that was relatively important. Um, <laughs> oh, Lord. It's so true. Where was I at? Help me, Holy Spirit. <laughs> uh I was telling you, I was going to say, 
say something before I pray for you. Staying out of Christian book. Oh, so, I mean, how many remember, like just a few years ago, just a few years ago, the whole body of Christ went into flames at just the triggered words of blood moons. I mean, we went nuts. Blood moons and what was going to happen on this blood moon and this blood moon had happened, hasn't happened for so many years. And now we have four blood moons happening within a span of time. And the, you know, and I understand the Bible teaches there'll be signs in the heavens, but you got into guys starting to prophesy and talk about on the exact day of this blood moon, this is going to happen and all this stuff. And I heard people say, and when nothing of significance happened. And people were like, well, if you couldn't see what the power of what's going on, then you, you're not tuned into the spirit. It's like, dude, it's like I heard a prophet get up one time. He said, I'm telling you something devastating is going to happen during this Halloween night. And he's prophesying all this stuff. It's going to devastate the nation and it's going to devastate nations and it'll be in the news. And, it's like, and nothing happened. In fact, it was reported on the news. It was like one of the most peaceful Halloween nights that has happened in like the last 20 years. You know, we get caught up, you know, before that Y2K. I'm telling you something's coming on Y2K. And, you, and we get caught up with newspaper prophecy. And then there's books that are out in the bookstore on it. People get caught up. It's all anybody's small group is talking about. Pastors are preaching on it for eight weeks straight. It can, it's all, and it's these side things. It's these small things. And then nothing happens. And then everybody's back to normal again. And so I'm just warning you. Alex, my nephew, said, this has been a good teaching. I got to go do a deep study in the Da Vinci Code now. That was another one. Da Vinci Code came out and pastors preached for a four-week sermon on debunking the Da Vinci Code. It's a novel, for crying out loud. It's a novel. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, AJ Bible. People come out. Well, it happened, like I said, but it was only in the spirit, but it's going to see, you'll see it soon in the natural realm. It's going to manifest soon in the natural realm. And so I'm just telling you to keep the main thing, the main thing. If you'll just adhere to what you see in the Bible and not all the fads and you're open to correction and you're willing to win souls, you know, doing the actual work of ministry will keep you from getting weird. Actually winning people to Jesus, actually laying hands on the sick actually believing God to see them recover, actually casting out devils, you know, doing the basic work of ministry will keep you from getting weird. Because as I pointed out a moment ago, it's the churches and the people that are so focused on weird manifestations that never win souls, that never see the sick healed, that never see people baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. It's those that get weird that don't do the work of the ministry. Can I tell you, if you would spend your time finding ways to bring people into the kingdom of God, it would keep you from focusing on the weird stuff. And obviously I'm not talking to the victory tribe. I know that you're on here because you agree and you're good people and you're people that want to see the true manifestations of the Holy Spirit, but this will be seen. By people, and it'll be listened to by people that have encountered the weird stuff. And I'm sure many of you that are watching or listening have encountered the weird stuff and have been there before. And so uh, you know what I'm talking about, and it's dangerous. 
because it keeps people in a place where, and then they get into, you know, like I said, demonic familiar spirits. And it's just a waste of your time. Total waste of your time. We need the scripture embedded in our hearts and we need to obey it. But we need to be led by the Holy Ghost. And we want a desire to see what we saw in the Bible taking place in our churches, taking place in our lives. This is, this is what discipleship is. We want to see the works of Christ. I'll leave you before we pray with this verse, John 14, 12. Jesus said, the works that I do, you will do also. And even greater works than these because I'm going to be with my father. The works that I do. So notice, he wasn't, he was warning you like Paul, imitate the works that I do. What kind of stuff did Jesus do? Preach the gospel unashamed, laid hands on the sick, cast out devils, raised the dead, was kind to the poor, went after the sinner. The works that I do, you will do also. The only reason he said greater works than these is because he was only doing the works he did for three years. I've already done six times longer than Jesus, with the work of the ministry, six times longer than Jesus. More than six times. You think about it. I'm coming up on seven times longer. Look at people like my father who have done it far longer than Christ was able to do it. So you're not going to have greater miracles in quality than Jesus. How do you get greater than raising the dead? There is nothing greater than that. So you're not going to do greater miracles in quality, but you will do greater miracles in quantity. He only did them for three years. Many people have worked for him for much longer than that. Jesus never won 60 million people into the kingdom like Reinhard Bonnke did. 60 million in a span of 10 to 15 years. Well, Christ never did that. The apostles never did that. The early church never did that. But what's the story? Well, as time has gone on, we have greater time to work. We have better technology. We have more open doors and things are getting greater before the coming of the Lord. So yes, greater in quantity, but not in quality. And it doesn't mean that he's, well, I, I started my ministry very basic, but you're going to go off and start seeing angel feathers and, you know, I almost said, I was going to say angel feathers and gold dust, I almost said angel dust. But if you're seeing angel dust, <laughs> and that's what you're lining your doobies with, and you've got real, real problems. I feel like half these people in church are on angel dust. I'm like, Did you see what I saw, brother? You're a nut job. Amen. But I want to pray for you today because we're believing in these final moments of time to see the greatest move of the spirit we've ever seen, to see the revival uh, that we've been believing for hit America and hit the nations of the world. And I believe many places it's already here. You're seeing, I'm seeing hunger like we've not seen in 20 years. We're seeing hunger, hunger. People are coming in from all over the place. People are, people are so hungry for a move of the Holy Ghost. And so I want to pray that as you step in, um, I don't know what Yaniel's asking. She's saying, Ted, I've seen it is from God or devil mercy. I don't know what that means. You'd have to rephrase that, but I'm believing that's why I want to pray for you because this fire that's in our spirit, this fire that's in our heart, it, it can't just be there only for us. It's got to be something that's a, a launching pad, a springboard into what we're called to do. And that's why I'm getting on this is because we need, we need 
to see God's power hit our generation before it's too late. Time's running out. It's an urgent message. The gospel's a limited time offer, and we've got to get busy, like Jesus said, doing the work of him who sent us while it's still daytime. For the night is coming where no man can work. Think about that. When Jesus said that spiritually, the sun was high in the sky. 2,000 years later, it's dipping on the horizon. We are at sunset, my friends. We are at sunset. Jesus was like at high noon and it was daytime. 2,000 years later, sunset's happening. And when that sun dips below the horizon and the trumpet sounds and we're gone, the night will come where no man can work. I don't want to miss our opportunity. Jesus is calling us to do the work that he did. Father, I pray for every person watching, pray for everyone listening, that today you would keep us humble to hear correction, direction. Don't ever let us uh, reject the voice or the work of the Holy Spirit. Don't let us ever become so letter of the law that we've closed out the move of the Holy Ghost. And Lord, never let us so ignore the word of God that we become weird and, and seek after unusual and uh, uncommon manifestations or things that are even being produced by familiar spirits. Keep us sane in Jesus' name, but keep us faithful. Keep us steadfast. Let us endure by the power of your spirit. And I pray that you would open doors for your people today. Let there be wide open doors for your people. Doors of opportunity, as you did for Paul the Apostle. And Lord, give us entrance into the lives of our friends and loved ones, co-workers and students at our schools, and let them be saved before it's too late. Embolden us and empower us to do that work. We thank you for it, and we give you glory, and we give you honor, and we give you praise for what you're doing in our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Throw some hands up in the comment section if you're standing with me, and if you believe that, Throw some fire up in the comments and some hands and let me know you're standing with me. Listen to me. Uh, we're getting, we're stepping out. We've already stepped out and, uh, Carolyn and I have done what the Lord's asked us to do. And we're preaching the gospel hardcore everywhere now around the world. I'm encouraging those that are watching to sow a seed of faith today. I want you to stand with us in partnership. We've prayed for you and God sent you to us. I want you to take a step of faith and partner. Do you know one of the exciting things, man, I wish you guys could see, and you will see soon, but we're preparing, we're in the final stages of putting together this elite study collection for those that are partnering with us at $5,000 or more. This is one of the most beautiful things, man. Custom box. It, it, it feels so high end. I love the look of it already. And we're putting materials in there that I believe are truly the best quality products for Christians uh, to study the word and to be deep in the scripture and to know what God's word is teaching. Uh, we have five different resources in one customized box for those of you that are standing with us at $5,000 or more as we preach this gospel around the world. Many people that are watching could participate in this. And the reason that I'm calling it the Elite Study Collection, I really believe that God is sending uh, an elite level of giver to this ministry, people that are sowing $5,000, $10,000, I believe that God will send us people that will sow $1 million seeds into this ministry as we're doing the work of the Lord. And we want you to know that we appreciate you and thank you. 
uh, for standing with us at that level. Those that are sewing at $1,000 or more, we want to put in your hand the Genuine Leather Life Application Study Bible, one of the best resources that's around for studying the Bible. And in the month of April, as long as we're still in this month, um, those that are partnering at $85 or more, we're going to be sending you this book by Smith Wigglesworth entitled Ever Increasing Faith. And what you need to do if you'd like to receive these things is go to that website you see on the screen, miracleword.com forward slash offer. You can fill out the form. That lets us know where to send these things to, whether it's this book, whether it's the Life Application Study Bible, or if you're going to be receiving the Elite Study Collection, um, we want to know where to send the box. And so I want to say thank you ahead of time to everybody that's partnering with us and standing with us to see the gospel preached around the world. We're already seeing salvations come in from other nations, and we're discipling them now. The What's Next Discipleship Program is already live. We're already seeing people get sign up and go through that. We'd like you to do it. It's absolutely free. And uh, if you'd like to, you can always go to uh, miracleword.com and click that I just got saved button. If you're familiar with our ministry already, you can just go to Miracle Word U, where we have the online courses, and we've put it as a free course in with the other courses on MiracleWordU.com. It's also a podcast, uh, and those things are linked on our website. If you want to get the podcast for your phone, or if you'd like to watch the videos, all you have to do is go to MiracleWord.com and click that I just got saved, and you'll see the, the links to both of those things. And uh, I know it'll stir you up. The, the blog, by the way, is live. I'm very, very excited about it. We have all kinds of articles that are already available for you to read, things that'll stir your faith, and you're going to get a new piece of content every single week. And uh, I don't know if you use a blogging application like Feedly or anything like that, but you could even subscribe to the RSS feed of our blog. And every time there's new content, you know, those, those apps like Feedly, those are just like a podcast app for blogs. So the new one gets downloaded to your phone from any blogs that you follow. So if you'd like to do that, you can. Last night, I was live with my friend Chris Palmer, who's a Holy Ghost-filled Greek scholar uh, on the subject of why every Christian should learn some Greek. We're going to be putting that up on the podcast today, and uh, you'll be able to listen to it. It was a great interview. He shared some insights into how you can use the Greek language to go deeper in your Bible study and in your devotions. And then we even talk about some tools that every Christian can use to see some of the Greek language. Uh, that's the language the New Testament was actually written in. God gave it to us through the Greek language. And uh, it would really, it'll, it'll really help you. And so I want to encourage you to check it out. I love you guys so much. Thank you for sewing. Thanks for standing with us. Very, very much appreciate you. Now don't forget, we're live tonight at 6.30 Central, 7.30 Eastern, and tomorrow night, Friday. And then starting next week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I'm encouraging you, West Virginia camp meeting. Get there. It's going to be probably the most attended camp meeting that we've ever had. It's going to be powerful. Um, we're already packed out with ministers that are registered. We can't register anymore for the meal sessions because it's, it's packed full. But uh, we've got 
All kinds of space for you to come and be a part. We, we'll set up chairs if we have to. We'll open the lobby up if we have to, whatever. But it's going to be powerful. And so we want to see you. All the details are at MiracleWord.com in the schedule section. And uh, it starts Tuesday night at 7 p.m. And then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, there's a session at 10.30 in the morning and a session at 7 at night. Don't miss West Virginia Camp Meeting. Carolyn is speaking this Saturday, April the 24th. It's at World Harvest Church in Roswell, Georgia. The event starts at 10 a.m., goes till 1 p.m., and uh, all those details are on our schedule as well. If you're anywhere near, we got women that are driving in from other places to be a part of that event, but if you're anywhere near uh, Roswell, Georgia, or that area of the country, get there. It's gonna be really, really great. She flies out tomorrow to be a part of it, and uh, we're pumped up. I love you guys. Thanks for hanging with me again today. Have a powerful day. I'll see you tonight. And uh, by the way, here's a video coming up that tells you a little bit about our new discipleship program called What's Next. I love you. Talk to you later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.